0: JCast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthame Sanders. On this episode, part two of our conversation with Arielle Fristo. Arielle is the founder and artistic director of Out of Hand Theater, and she spoke with us from her home right here in Atlanta. And tell us about Out of Hand's Equitable Dinners program.
1: Back in 2018, I went to a couple of different dinners that were dinners with diverse strangers or with people who knew each other that were dinner conversations about race and racism. And I really got interested in this as an artistic director, actually. And in my immense hubris, I thought, what they're really missing is art. You know, because art has this power to, for one thing, just give people a common experience to talk about and jumpstart conversations. Yeah,
0: it can also create kind of a common language, right? When you have people coming from different perspectives and different experiences, if they watch or participate in something together, they suddenly have this shared experience, even if they're complete strangers.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I called up this organization, One Small Change, that I had been to one of these dinners, and I said, hey, can I take somebody to coffee? I guess this is how a lot of things in my life happen. <laughs> and I had coffee with this amazing woman, Adria Kitchens, who I now work with. She and I are now co-workers at Out of Hand. And I said, could I please invite you and the head of that organization, Dr. Deitra Hawkins, who's this amazing woman who has dedicated her life to these kinds of conversations and to diversity and equity training, but particularly to these dinners mm-hmm. as well. Could I invite you to come to one of the shows that I produce in people's homes? where there's a performance about a social justice issue and a cocktail party and a conversation. And so they came to a show at a house in Decatur, It was a a show about the experience of growing up black in Atlanta as a woman actually as the daughter of a street preacher so this Mm. was a whole other Mm. (laughs) religion that's
0: a whole other layer yeah
1: so and then we stayed in fact many people who were there that night stayed late into the night which is not something that always happens at these performances and talked and talked and we dreamed up this idea for what became the Decatur dinners so in 2019 We organized this event, the Decatur Dinners, where we gathered 1,200 people at 120 dinner tables all over Decatur, mostly in people's houses, but also in churches and restaurants and community centers to have a facilitated conversation about racial equity over a potluck dinner with Mm -hmm. racially diverse strangers at every dinner table sparked by the performance in every room of a 10 minute play that we had written just for this event. So we got to hire 80 actors, because some rooms had more than one table, but only needed one actor, <laughs> and send them all to perform the same words at the same time all over Decatur to start this conversation. And it was an experiment. We had no idea if people would come. We had no idea if the art would make any impact at all. And it was wildly successful. I was on All Things Considered. That was not a bucket list thing (laughs) because I did not think there was any possibility that would ever happen. And then people started calling us from around Atlanta, but also from across the country saying, hey, when's the next one? Mm. How can I have one of these in my community? Mm. And we were like, what? Like we had no plan. We were just trying to pull off this one event, you know, and we weren't looking past that. So then we very quickly realized that our work was not done and we started planning. So we got together with the Center for Civil and Human Rights and the King Center. Atlanta Public Schools brought on a bunch of other partners, Partnership for Southern Equity, a bunch of really small nonprofits. And our plan was to do this on a larger scale for Atlanta, Mm. 500 dinners for 5,000 people in one month. And then COVID hit. Mm. So originally that was going to be September of 2020. Obviously, that didn't happen. Right. We will still do that someday. Yeah. But in the meantime, this amazing group of people met on Zoom. You know, I think I was just shell-shocked and listening and had no good ideas myself. And they said, well, let's go online and let's do a monthly series instead. And since we're online, let's get guest speakers so we can get some really big name guest speakers. We had Rashad Robinson from Color of Change, Kamara Jones, um, the expert on the effects of racism on health, um, who you have probably seen on the news during in the last year. She was our very first guest speaker, and then she joined the Equitable Dinners design team, and she comes to our meeting every single week for the last year and helped shave these dinners. So now we are on Zoom, we address a different topic related to racial equity every month. We have a guest speaker, we have a brand new 10 minute play every single month that is written by a playwright in collaboration with the speaker to specifically put a human face on what they're going to say that month. Mm. And then we all go into zoom breakout rooms with a facilitator and maybe six or eight strangers in every room for a, a guided conversation on the topic, Wow! you know, and we have people coming from all over the world now. I mean, that yeah. was the amazing thing is equitable dinners. Atlanta was just for Atlanta, but yeah. instead we've got people from 40 States and 11 countries and It's wildly diverse in age and in race and mostly women, I got to admit. It seems much harder to get men to engage in this conversation, but in other ways, so much bigger and more diverse than we expected Mm. it to be.
0: I mean, theater has been in utter crisis for 12 months because of the inability to gather in person. Yeah. And theaters have tried to think adaptively and figure out how to do it. It feels to me like as hard as I'm sure that must have been to figure out the logistics and to adapt, that the DNA of Out of Hand made that an easier adaptation than I think for a lot of theaters. Do you think that's a fair thing to say?
1: Oh, yeah. We were so lucky. You know, for one thing, everyone in the theater world, and it may be safe to say everyone in the world is talking about racial justice now after As the well, events right, of the past right. year. And the fact that that was already the focus of our work, we were very well positioned for that, but also that we had already been producing 10-minute monologues or longer monologues that could, not only could, but were designed to be performed in people's homes with no lighting, no sets, no costumes made it so much easier to go online yeah. that, you know, people who need sets and dance numbers and casts of 20, how do you do that online? Whereas a 10-minute monologue is easy.
0: Yeah. And this work was recognized by the New York Times. You would got uh, Out of Hand Theater received their 2020 Theater of the Year.
1: Yeah. We actually, we were in the New York Times four times last year. And this was also not on my bucket list. Like definitely not something I ever... Ever thought my name would appear in the New York Times? Yeah,
0: doing theater in Atlanta, first of all, right? <laughs>
1: right, yeah. We've So this is a list of the top 10 theater experiences of the year. And uh, I think it's always just Broadway. I mean, maybe an off-Broadway show will sometimes get onto it, but really nothing that happens outside of New York City. Yeah, yeah. We basically just fell on the floor and our jaws dropped for a few days before we could even respond <laughs> to
0: that That's award. incredible. So tell me about your collaboration with Families First. By the time this airs, you will have already had your premiere.
1: Yes. Families First is a 130-year-old Atlanta organization that serves families in crisis and foster kids. And my husband and I are foster parents, so this is something that is very close to our hearts. Mm -hmm. This is a a typical example of our work because most of what we do is collaborate with community organizations, social justice organizations, and figure out how we can build a program that brings art to serve their needs, their mission. So in this case, we collaborated with Families First to commission a a wonderful Atlanta playwright, this woman named Amina McIntyre.
0: Yeah, good friend of the podcast.
1: Yes. (laughs) To write a very short play, a 20-minute three-person play. That's really about navigating the effects of poverty and systemic racism. Mm. Specifically, it's about a family, a mom and her teenage son who are living in a shelter, you know, trying to deal with mental health issues, job issues. And it's the son's 16th birthday. And what that means in this shelter is he can no longer sleep in the same room as his mom. He has to go Mm -hmm. live with the men where his stuff might get stolen, you know, where he doesn't feel safe, where he... Is no longer going to be able to participate in after-school activities because right. he can't get back on time before the doors close. Really, giving a look at what I think most people who have never experienced homelessness, what it might actually look like. Mm. You know that it mm. doesn't actually look like what you think of as the person who you give a dollar to out of your car window right. as you're, right. you know, right. trying right. to right. the corner. Um, but you know, families and how hard it is to get out of if it happens to you. So we have turned this script into a short film this 20 minute film and in this program we're inviting the people who would normally host our shows in their homes to gather their friends on zoom for a shorter experience because it's on zoom it's only like an hour long where you watch this play and someone from families first will talk a little bit about the needs and about their work and then everyone has a conversation together Mm. so it's a lot like what we normally do just yeah On Zoom. Yeah,
0: yeah. Ariel Fristo on AIJCast. We'll be back to more of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a quick word. As always, I encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, AIJCast.com, where we have a plethora of links to our artists, their news, information, and products. One item I want to highlight for you is Out of Hand Theater's next Equitable Dinner, which is happening on Sunday, March 21st at 5 p.m., the focus that evening is anti racism and uncentering of whiteness. You can find information about this and so much more right there on our website, aijcast.com. And now, back to more of our conversation with Ariel Fristo. Ariel, I'm wondering what you think churches can learn or church folk can learn from the theater and vice versa, or maybe Ooh. specifically from out of hand.
1: <laughs> back to my hubris.
0: Yeah, let's lean into hubris. <laughs>
1: I'm going to start with what theater can learn from, since I have so little experience of religion, that really the only thing I have any experience of is the Episcopal Church. So I think that had better be all I talk about. Yeah,
0: sure. Absolutely. So what theater
1: can learn from the Episcopal Church (laughs) is that when you gather people to have a communal experience, yes, it should include stories and powerful words and pageantry, as you said but it should also include ways that you yourself can participate, Mm. like by singing or greeting someone or shaking their hand or eating together. And I think that the more that the theater can embrace those things, the things that are not possible on a screen, that film and TV and and YouTube can't compete with, the stronger we can be. Mm. And church has that, they understand that.
0: Mm. That's good, what about the flip of that?
1: So I do believe that theater artists and probably even me in particular, that we have knowledge that could benefit the church, but I haven't mm. thought about it specifically, so I don't mm. know if I have an answer.
0: <laughs> so there's this, this lovely quote from Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher, Christian theologian, who talks about the theater of worship. And the, the metaphor for him is that if we think of worship as the way we think of theater, we think of the congregation as the audience, and the pastor and the choir as the performers. And what he says is, no, 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 no. God is the audience. If worship is theater, God is the audience. The pastor and the choir and the liturgists are the directors and the congregation are the performer. Whoa. So it's a complete reorientation.
1: But yeah, in that case, if God is the audience and the people in charge in the church are the directors and we are the performers, then I think I have an answer, which is I think you could borrow more of the storytelling and Mm. cathartic and emotion-inspiring, empathy-inspiring aspects of theater. Because if we are the performers, if the directors could help us experience more of that in the way of theater for God, our audience, I think that would probably benefit everyone. It could mean, but it certainly doesn't have to mean falling down or...
0: Ecstatic experience. Yeah, Yeah. it doesn't
1: have to mean ecstatic experience. And
0: this, I mean, this makes me think of one of my frequent critiques of the church, is that we've become a cerebral experience and not an embodied experience. And if what we say we believe about Jesus is really true, this embodiment of God and the church is the embodiment of sacredness, this incarnational presence then why do we just talk about faith?
1: Yeah. Let's lean into that more. Let's, you know, let's create an experience for people that is radical because those are the experiences that you think about all day and all night and not just for an hour on Sunday.
0: Yeah. And we know, we know no matter what people's preferred learning style is or where they're really lean into learning things, all of us learn much better by doing than by thinking.
1: Yes, and if our emotions are not engaged, first of all, we tend to get sleepy and bored. And secondly, we just don't remember stuff as well.
0: Right. Yeah, and that to me, I think, is a fair critique of the theater and the church. Yeah. That it's very consumer, it can be very consumer-oriented. You go, you sit in the dark, you go through the process, the performers perform for you, you might sing, and then you leave. Yeah. So how do we make this a more engaged, emotional, embodied experience. The world we're in right now, where churches have all had to pivot to online worship and not really knowing how to do that, some have been better prepared than others, and how what out of hand had already been doing was to take, if I can push this metaphor to the breaking point, taking the religion of theater out of the temples of theater and into the homes, out into the streets. And that to me describes 2020 in a nutshell for churches. We couldn't be in the buildings yeah, and we got kicked out. And then a lot of us actually took to the streets, thinking particularly about the Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah, Yeah, that's where the church should have already been by necessity, has had to find itself there. And I hope we hang on to that. I hope we don't lose that.
1: Yeah. And once it's truly safe to be back together again, inside or outside, I would also really love to see the church more concretely embrace the the idea of the meal, of the communion Mm. as as meal, because one of the things that has struck me over and over again in the past 20 years, but particularly in the past 10 years of my work, is the immense power of breaking bread together and Mm. the immense power of being a guest Or a host in someone's home and how you can have these incredibly difficult conversations about things like racism Mm -hmm. with an assembled group of all skin colors Mm -hmm. and the level of respect and dignity that you treat each other in the conversation with is just totally different and higher in someone's home when you are sharing a meal together. And so if churches are the houses of God, and if communion is the meal that we share, let's go for that.
0: Go for it. Let's make that table as big as we can.
1: Yeah. And as sensory as we can, you know, as as much of a physical experience as we can.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the Decatur Dinners. That's exactly what it was. It was this thing that we talk about in church of making the, the, all are welcome at this table. They're they're gathered around this table are much bigger than the people that are in this room. And you actually made that happen.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) I had never thought about that. (laughs) It's
0: incredible. Ariel. if you had a... A charge, and what I mean by that is, you know, a piece of wisdom or um, advice for people who are listening. It may be a well that you return to again and again, or maybe it's something that this conversation has sparked. What would it be?
1: Oh, what sustains me personally is that I stop and notice beauty whenever I see it, and then I look for ways to put it into my work, which is probably a lot easier to do as an artist than in a lot of other jobs, so I have that advantage. And I stop and say thank you to God and to people and am grateful, not in the way my grandmother used to say to me, like, you should be grateful, but am truly grateful at least once every day, and then I try to take those two things, seeing the beauty around me, and I'm also very moved by the pain around me. I think very often about how much pain and how much beauty there are in the world. And then the things that I'm grateful for and try to figure out what I can do, what I can do to be of service. That's sort of the third thing that I try to think about every day. What, what can I do to be useful to the world and to my fellow
0: man? Ariel Fristo, thanks for being on AIJ Cast.
1: Thank you, Martha.
0: Ariel Fristo on AIJcast. You can find out more about her and Out of Hand Theater at outofhandtheater.com. On our next episode, Pastor, Advocate, and MC Julian Deschazier, AKA JQuest. AIJCast is truly made possible through the support of listeners like you. It is you who makes our work feasible. So please, please, please do take just a moment and go to our website, AIJCast.com, and click on the link that says support. And we do love to interact with you on social media. We are there on many, many of the things where our handle is AIJCast.com. Our theme music comes from our house band, Marred Fame. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by the somewhat arcane Al Mudif, who can never remember what it's called, but really loves his Toyota hybrid. My hubris. And I'm your host, Marthame Sanders, encouraging you to go, rather stay put, create some beauty of your own, and remember that the world isn't truly beautiful until it's beautiful for all. Until next time, justice and Peace. Mm-hmm.